right, we are getting ready to start Resistance Radio. You're listening to uh, some Dead Can Dance there. Uh, we just came back from the Dead Can Dance show in Bulgaria. It was awesome. So, uh, Resistance Radio, however, we'll be starting just a second. Kenny just came in. We're very happy to see Kenny. Francis here, and Resistance Radio is going to start right now. <laughs> When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LPFM. You are listening to Resistance Radio. Thank you all for tuning in. Of course, with me, as always, is one of my best friends, Kenny Francis, who's one of the founding members of Indivisible NOLA, looking, as always, very debonair. Uh, also one of the smartest political minds in the state of Louisiana. Certainly uh, smarter than me, but not in this room. We do have somebody <laughs> who may be even smarter than Kenny. I, in fact, I know that for 100% sure. Kenny, how I mean, are she you? Is, she's more degrees than me, so there's like a piece. This piece of paper, there's a piece of paper that says that she's smarter than me. I, I also want to just say quickly, Kenny and I were supposed to get together yesterday, and man, a little bit of rain, man. You were like the you, the, you, you were the okay. witch. First of all, for, <laughs> yeah, first little, of all, okay, a we're little gonna, bit of rain. It's man. funny because like a good a good amount of this show is gonna be about like making sure we get facts straight. So let's get okay. facts straight. <laughs> From the top, we had a one o'clock appointment to meet and have lunch and talk about the show. Right. And I get a text from Mark Allen saying, 
I'm at this thing and it's raining really hard outside and I and hear the street flooding. Like, do you want to like adjust the plan? And I was like, well, if there's street flooding, I want to park my car and not be driving on the rain. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I guess to the meeting. I was like, well, here's the thing. I'm going to go park my car and then I will call you. That's what actually what happened. Is that like you got all like I was like let's let's, let's let's walk and, also, and like, meet I, somewhere. I am nervous about the rain because like this is actually I wasn't gonna bring this up on this show, but like a reality of it is that every time it rains, our city floods now, and we need to we need yeah, to address that. That's actually immediately. Like I live in the Lower Garden District now, and it's a river right. from just like basic regular afternoon deluge rain. Like yeah. on Saturday. Part of the reason why I felt the way I did on Sunday is on Saturday, I spent most of the afternoon moving my car around my neighborhood because it flooded. If your neighborhood didn't flood on Saturday, you might have thought that was like a normal New Orleans summer rain. And you're right. It was a normal New Orleans summer rain. It rains like an hour every day in the summer in New Orleans. But apparently now our streets flood completely. During normal rains now. No, no, they're not normal. They're not normal. They're, I mean, they're, they're the new normal. They're, well, they're, they're, they're the normal that we better get used to because climate change is real and it's happening and we are on changed. the forefront yes. of it. And, like, the thing is that, like, we have to do something about this because people, like, the, as with everything, the most vulnerable members of our community are going to be the ones that are, that are hit the hardest. And, unfortunately, the reality is that people like me, people of privilege, are going to just move. Like, I can just move out of the Lower Garden District. If I need to break my lease, I can do that. Like, I can just move. And people who can't just move are just going to literally be left with rising water as we continue to do not enough about this problem. So, I mean, all right, you're bringing up a lot, and we definitely have a great show uh, planned for you all today. We are going to definitely – we're going to definitely go over, and we we have a great guest to talk to us about what happened with uh, the musician Eugene Grant. But before we do, there's a couple things we want to talk about. And I do want to say that definitely for one of our Movement Mondays, we're going to have the Sewage and Water Board person on. I would love to. Yes, um, because the the new normal is this, is that we have more rain dropping – in a faster period of time that the pumps were essentially not built. I'm going to say this a different way. There is the conversation about pumps is over. Conversation about pumps was relevant maybe a decade ago, but the reality of it is now that New Orleans is a bowl. When there's more rain falling than you can pump out at, at once, then you're going to have flooding. Right. There is no pumping system in the world that is going to be able to deal with eight inches of rain in three hours, which is what we had last Wednesday when right. the whole city flooded. And so the, the day of, oh, we'll patch this pump, we'll fix this pump, we'll get this newer thing, no, those days right. no, no, are no, gone, folks. No, 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 you're absolutely right. And, and I'm actually, yeah. obviously, as always, we're always saying the same thing from a different perspective. But this is why fair share is so important. Right. I mean, this is why the mayor needs to get this money back uh, uh, and that she got two hundred million dollars. And that's a, that is literally a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Thank you for laughing on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for laughing, Megan. I appreciate but, that. That is a drop in the bucket. But yeah. we need to do more, a yeah. lot more, because this is our new norm. This radio station was built with the idea that we're going to flood regularly. And like I would imagine that homes and what have you are going to be built with the idea. Doc Griggs, who I do my show with on Tuesdays at 10 a.m., he um, he lost three cars on the flood on Wednesday, right? the one right before Barry, or that was that outer oh, band last Wednesday, of, yeah. of Barry, right? I last almost Wednesday. lost my car last Wednesday. Right, he, he lost three. He lost his whole first floor. He says they're redoing their house with all like kind of upscale patio furniture now because they're just now yeah. starting to read. They're now recognizing that yeah. we are living with water now yeah. and we need to do better. And my, and my only concern about this, not, I mean, I have many concerns, obviously, but like 
I think my my big concern about this is that we don't turn around and take take those two hundred million dollars into things that aren't going to work anymore. Like, don't go fix the pumps. The pumps are not the conversation anymore. They're just not. Sure. Like, the conversation is we need to figure out how to live with this water. Trying to pump it up is simply not the solution anymore. I I mean, I think that is probably one of the solutions. It's like, it's, I mean, we need more green space. We need to get rid of cement stuff. I mean, there's ways of, I think the whole thing has to be done differently. The whole thing, a complete revamp. Because, like, trying to fix the pumps now at this juncture, now that this is where we are, is like trying to, put like a patch on your tire on a car on like a car that's totaled right like you need a new car right. we need an entire new plan for water abatement and dealing with flooding and mitigating flood risk pumping things out is now a relevant conversation i understand i understand so what are the we we, we need okay to so a couple things um one, I want to say sorry to folks that we have not posted yes uh, last week's episode just yet. We're you get if you're a long term listener of the show, you know that every time we have a show at Ace, there's like issues to work through to get the show posted. We guys owe you last week's episode that we recorded at Ace, which was like a really really good episode talking about the Lights of Liberty protest that happened now this past Friday. Um, and also was just like a general conversation about the concentration camps that our federal government has near our southern border. Um, and so we'll get you guys that episode as soon as we can. Um, that reminds me to give a reminder that you can find this episode and all of the episodes of our show by searching Resistance Radio New Orleans wherever you get your podcast. You can also go to the WHIV website, which is WHIVFM.org. Um, before we jump into our topic for today, which, as Dr. Darius said, is talking about the um, the arrest of Eugene Grant, which most people in the city have heard about, um, and we have his lawyer here with us today. Um, Eugene wasn't able to join us himself, um, and we're going to be talking about that at length in a moment. I did, we did, Doctor and I did want to talk about three things really quickly um, that's sort of like going on in the world that we needed to mention. Um, one, I want to make a note about Puerto Rico um, because I've seen a lot of things online that like we need to do some clarification here. My my one point about Puerto Rico here is. For folks who may not know, Puerto Rico is a part of the United States of America. A lot of folks seem to be very confused about that. Um, No, they are not a state. They are technically a U.S. protectorate, which means that they are U.S. citizens with U.S. passports. And yes, they do have to pay taxes. No, they don't get to vote. Yes, that is really screwed up. Imagine if you had to pay taxes and you didn't get a vote, how angry you would be. Um, And so to clarify what is happening in Puerto Rico right now is – a openly, an openly bigoted and openly corrupt Misogynist. governor who is backed and supported and propped up by Darth Cheeto and the federal government, fully, fully supported by them, who is openly, he's openly corrupt. Like, it is not a question about whether this dude is being corrupt. In fact, he's not even denying it. He's just saying, I'm corrupt and I don't care and I'm not leaving yet. That's like literally what's happening. So just to like recap here, United States citizens who have a official, a, a government official that's leading their, um, that's leading their land, who admitted that he is openly corrupt, who is being propped up by the U.S. by the federal government and our president. United States citizens are in the streets protesting for this guy to get um, to, to get to, to, to resign, and they're getting sprayed with tear gas. I just want to be clarified that that's where we're at right now, folks. Um, so if you look that up in a dictionary, there's a word for it. It's called fascism. Um, and that's where we are in the United States of America today. And I want to remind folks of that. The second thing I wanted to note is today, um, I was driving between meetings and I was listening to a, a BBC report about the cluster that is, um, Europe, that is Europe in general right now, but, uh, specifically England and sort of the kerfuffle they found themselves in with Iran. And for folks like me who are 
of fellow foreign policy nerds, a thing that I just wanted to like bring up on the show and mention for folks to think about is the true danger of the buffoonery that is Donald Trump and folks that think like him is that look at the situation that England is, is in right now. They are in a tiff with a rather dangerous world power, Iran, and the EU is like, oh, but what about Brexit? I thought you guys wanted to leave. No, 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 no. We're not coming to help you. And the U.S. is like, ooh, we're not that kind of friend. you got to pick up yourself up by your bootstraps and protect your ships on your own. So England now finds itself isolated with no friends willing to help. And the friend that they thought they had is like, ooh, I'm not that kind of friend. You, know, you, you bring up a good point. Why is the U.S. not? Like I when I you know saw why? that when I saw that this weekend, you know, when I saw the drone that the Iran shot down the American drone, I was like, "Oh, uh-huh. what's going on?" you know. And then when I saw that uh I think it was uh the UK kind of took an Iranian ship or they 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 started this, right? Yeah. They 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 took an Iranian ship and then over the weekend Iran retaliated essentially. Uh-huh. And they arrested 17 people And, they, and then today they they, I woke up this morning uh-huh. with 17 uh, spies that work for the CIA. You know, you know what's crazy? Um, for folks who are enough po- politics nerds enough like me that you like watch politics like fiction, th- this is all playing out like an episode of Madam Secretary. But instead of like a very capable woman in charge of like dealing with the situation, we have Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo. So like we might be at war like next week. Um but and the reason, also the new guy who's coming in who's replacing... Boris Johnson? He, yeah. Yeah, Boris Johnson's just Trump in England. Right. He's just a bumbling, fumbling... Um, uh, and this is what happens through. when you let idiots run your countries. Right. Um, because guess what, folks? International relations is actually kind of complicated. Right. <laughs> That's why people study it for a long time. Um, and the thing is, you, you, to answer your question, why isn't the U.S. helping our supposed ally England is because, one... Donald Trump's a liar. <laughs> One. No, but he's got but Two. he's got uh, on, Bolton me... with him who's well, just itching to go to war. Who is also a liar. You remember he manufactured an entire war right. like 15 years right, ago. But... Um, the reason why they're not getting involved is because geopolitically a weaker England is no is not important enough to us as an ally to do to put ourselves out there. Iran hasn't hasn't agitated us enough for Trump and them to use their political capital to get any sort of military response and Without the EU, England isn't worth enough to us for us to do anything about it. And see, this is what happens when you consort with people like Donald Trump. You're only good to right, them as right. long as you're, quote unquote, useful. useful the right. funny thing about Brexit is that England over, basically overvalued their own value yeah. and said that, like, we don't need it. We don't yeah, need yeah, Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't need the euro. Yeah. And now the people that were that they thought would be there to help them are like, ooh, actually, you're a lot less right. valuable by yourself Go ahead and figure that one right, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a note to all the people who it's, think America our, should it, just quote unquote mind its business and become protectionist and all that stuff like that. This is what happens when you don't play nice in the sandbox. Right. You play by yourself. Right. It's beautifully ironic, isn't it? It's ironic. It's, and it's, England is freaking out at the moment as they should be. Right. Because it's, it's quite a pickle they find themselves in with Iran. But now if I was the EU, I would be like... I would be answering their phone calls right now. Right, right, yeah. That's it's, like I'm sure somewhere Angela Merkel is like sitting in you know in a cafe, just shaking her head, being like, "And I told you this." Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and who's the outgoing uh, prime minister right now? What's her? Theresa uh, May. She's gone already. So are they without a prime minister? I, mean, I, I know she for like gave, a day. She gave no. She gave a outgoing speech. I yeah. think that she's still. I mean, she's like. I mean, she yeah. can't do anything right now. Right. She can't like. She she can't take any sort of action. Right. Tomorrow they're deciding on. The, it's either going to be Boris Johnson or I think his name's Justin Hunt. Is the other guy probably um, equally the conservative terrible, party? Equally. I terrible. mean, honestly, it's. 
if if it's we'll be lucky if it's not Boris Johnson because Boris Johnson's an actual buffoon. Uh-huh. The other guy is just like a conservative, so kind of a buffoon, right? Kind of a quasi, <laughs> quasi, yeah, uh, quasi. He's, just, he's only kind of a buffoon, but like like Boris Johnson is like an actual idiot, right? Um, yeah, no, he is, he is, he really is. I want to throw to you for the third thing though, because yeah. you want to mention one more. Thing. So uh, if you're tuned in, you're listening to one two point three WHIV LP. Uh, this is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. That's Kenny Francis. Thank you for tuning in. We are going to be getting to uh, the act. Activities that surrounded local musician uh, Eugene Grant with uh, his attorney Megan Kiefer uh, coming up in just a second. I just wanted to kind of play this clip, um, which I think is uh, is 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 important. Uh, and the clip is not playing. And uh, let me try that again. <laughs> it uh, never fails. It never fails. Technology and it and actually always fails. It just it, it never fails <laughs> that the technology doesn't work right when you're controlling it. Um, what we're what we're getting to here is obviously it's the uh it was the uh sender back which i couldn't get back um and i just wanted to kind of comment real quickly on um what's been happening in our politics and and uh and to a large degree this is a conversation that that kenny and i've had back and forth about the usefulness of of trump and you know to a large degree what trump has done is he's ripped off and we i've said this multiple times on the show the veneer uh you know whereas obama had the very you know very nice face and a very pleasant outward appearing person and he managed to kind of keep everything in check what we're seeing right now is a rapid descent into fascism uh and the open racism that we have seen with these tweets uh, that have gone back and forth with the four uh women of color in 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 congress uh and with the center back chants uh, that were uh geared specifically to on uh, omar mm-hmm. and it was very nice to see her go back to michigan uh which is where she's from by the way which is where yeah so they sent her back to her no, home no, no, state. no she's no 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 she's uh she's a uh, naturalized u.s citizen. not not she's not from michigan i think it's wisconsin oh uh, no, no 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 you're th- uh Il- ilhan omar came from somalia i'm almost positive but she's but, a but she's a citizen she is a ci- yeah she's legally she went home right and has citizenship right, right, right. so she is home that's my point. <laughs> yes, of course. That was the point. And she got <laughs> this big, overwhelming welcome home chant, obviously. But I just want to just kind of, I have a feeling that this is going to come up as we start to see the ugliness yeah. surface. This is the beginning, uh-huh. the beginning of a, uh, of a uh, um, electoral process. Yeah. We're going to see more and more of this. I mean, they used to be, you know, we used to call it dog whistle. It's not dog whistle. It's, it's megaphoning now because I think that as they're losing more and more grip uh, and we're seeing more and more more power being shared amongst people that are not white male dominating uh, uh, or white male uh, infrastructure. What we're seeing now uh, is a, a desperation, and that desperation always results in racism. And I think that we're at a point right now where this could go one way or the other. And it, it is a, certainly it's a very frightening time. And I'm just appalled by what we're seeing. And I just feel as though that just, there needs to be a response to it. Um, yeah. at least from our perspective. Uh, and it's just, it's horrifying. Um, and Megan, I'll turn your microphone and see if you want to add anything to what, what you've seen, uh, or your thoughts as well. With Trump. Yeah. <laughs> specifically about these tweets, thoughts. about these tweets in particular. I, I find them to be bone chilling. You know, I, I do. Um, I, I think we're, as a society, devolving, <laughs> you know. Um, my hope as a eternal pessimist slash optimist is that these dog whistles, dog megaphones, um, help us to recoil. You know, I, I have faith that we have a society that is repulsed by it, 
but I'm I mean, grounded his, enough his, to know that there's a sizable portion of our society that is enthused by it. Right. His polls, his poll ratings went up five points. Yeah. As, yeah. I mean, when they see stuff like that, yeah. like those, they're, they're monsters. They're going to continue yeah. to chase that. And again, this is the beginning of, of it's a, only, it's, it's only a matter of time until someone takes a shot at one of them. Unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. I think the only thing I want to disagree with, not even disagree, the only thing I want to amend in what you just said is the veneer has only been ripped off for white people because yeah, apps, okay. people so, of color enough, have enough, known this enough, yes. forever because white people have always been like this. Um, I would say the quote-unquote civility you're referring to within our discourse existed somewhere between like 1990 and like 2008 when Obama won. But like any time before that and after that, it's always been like this. Like the fear of the Negro has been a a political tool that has been very effective in this country since its founding. Sure. Um. And so like that, it's not a disagreement. It's just that like the veneer, the veneer is only newly ripped off for one specific subsect of people. And what we're finding is, and here's the thing that folks are really uncomfortable with about this reality about America. Donald Trump has the support of a third of this country. People I, love more. People love to like push a narrative that he stole this election and that this is not who we are and if people stayed home and like all of those things have like little 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 tiny specks of truth. But here's like the honest truth, y'all. The honest truth is that much more part of the, much more like large number of this country agrees with everything he's doing and saying than any one of you listening are comfortable with. It's your aunties, it's your uncle who won't say it to your face. It's much more people in this country, at least a third of this country, agrees with literally everything that comes out of this man's disgusting mouth. And here's the problem. That third of the country is comfortable with the the deportation, the murder, the death of another third of this country. And here's the real problem. The real problem is the third third of this country is just watching it happen. That is that is the real problem, is that the real problem, and I said this last week in our show that isn't up yet, so I'll say it again here, is that... We are living right now in the time that, like, when I was in college, I took a class on social co- sociology. Um, and of the many things the class explored, it explored in sort of this, like, academic sense, um, these sort of, like, what-ifs about the psychology of, like, how societies have let ho- these horrible, horrible things happen. Like, how could people who felt a certain way let slavery continue? How could people let things like the Armenian massacre happen? How could the Holocaust be allowed to happen in Germany before it grew to what it was? Um, how could Japanese internment happen, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of the atrocities that people have committed against each other? Um, and I want folks to be really clear in understanding that right now, in this moment, we are sitting in 2019, we are sitting in one of those moments. We are sitting in one of those moments where 30 years from now, when they're right about this time, they're going to talk about the awful things that were start to, that they were start that are happening in this country to people of color, and specifically right now to migrants to this country. And there's going to be a whole group of people that are going to need to explain to their grandchildren what they did or did not do during this time when they started killing people. And if you're not, this is no longer a sociology class. What what would you have done when the Nazis came for your neighbors is happening right now. The Nazis are ICE and your neighbors are the brown person named Jose that lives in your house next to you. And what you are doing or not doing right now is what you would have done when the Nazis came for them, when the slave when the slave um, chasers came for your for this this runaway slave. Also called police. Like it was, like what you would have done is what you're doing or not doing right now. 
So before we switch over, let me just say two things to that. One is that there are studies that are coming out that are showing that the very Americans that you're talking about, the first one-third, are more comfortable living in a fascist society than they are a dictatorial or authoritarian society than they are living in a true democratic society. Because in an authoritarian or fascist society, you still have the white infrastructure that's still in place. The second thing I just want to say real quickly is I just want to remind everybody about the famous Stanford experiments in which a psychologist essentially took Stanford students, split them in two, then then took one of them and then made them authoritarian individuals and they quasi jailed the other ones. These are same these are their colleagues. These were their frat brothers or dorm sisters or whatever. And almost immediately those that were the authoritarian types immediately started within a day or two started to torture yep. the second group. They actually had to shut the study down because it it, it how quickly those that were in authority devolved so rapidly into what essentially amounted to torture to their uh, uh, to their 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 friends or supporters or yeah. subordinates or whatever. So let me just let me just kind of with that uh, yeah. chilling. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry we're shifting, but uh, Kenny, yeah, I have a feeling this is a topic conversation that we're going to be talking a lot about. With that being said, it's such a pleasure to uh, you heard her voice uh, uh, already, Miss uh, Megan Kiefer, who is the attorney for Eugene uh, Grant uh, that we've all heard about uh and of course uh the incidents occurred on july 8th and megan rather than me try to stumble my way through it i'll i'll kind of turn the microphone over to you maybe explain to us what happened on on uh, july 8th well not totally off topic it segues nicely from a discussion of the powerful and the powerless into what happened on july 8th um in a nutshell, um, I represent Eugene Grant. Him and his band, the Young Fellows Brass Band, have a long history of playing music on Frenchman Street. Um, I have a long history of being a consumer of their music, a consumer of their culture, like most people in New Orleans do. Um, recently, um, in, in March, there's a bookstore on Frenchman Street that was reopened. Um, it had been closed for, for a period of time, although the bookstore itself has been there for 40 years. It came under new ownership. And there was a lot of tension between that owner and the young fellow's brass band about territorialism, basically. Um, and just and to be clear, there was the, the brass band used to play on the lot that, that was across the street where there's now a dat dog. Correct. And then they started playing in front of Cafe Brazil before Cafe Brazil then morphed into another entity. And then while the bookstop was being remodeled, there was no one there. They moved over across the street and kind of carried on there. And so what you're saying is like many people in the city, they have been consistently displaced from a place that they've been practicing their culture for a long time by white gentrifiers who are coming in and saying move. Well, that's, we're definitely getting that with the bookstore for sure. Um, and, and so after that, you know, sort of history, they, um, were playing on July 8th on Frenchman street. The police were called. Uh, Just one more thing. Just to set up, they, they had an agreement with the, with the, the new bookshop owner that they were going to stop playing around nine or so. Is that correct? Or there was some handshake agreement with one of the members of the band? There was some agreement between a member of the band and the bookstore owner. The specifics of course are, you know, kind of unclear, kind of muddy, but um, for the purposes of this discussion, let's just say the agreement was not honored by some party because um, the police were called, responded. um, the, The bookstore owner, I believe, called the police with a statement that they were inhibiting people's ability to get into the bookstore. Uh, a lot of accounts dispute that. Um, it's not that they were in the bookstore. They were playing directly well, in the doorway. when you see the video, they were, like, on the street. I mean, it doesn't look like they were 
you know, blocking anything. Right. Look, I mean, I mean, you also don't know when the video starts. Just the devil's advocate, you don't know when the video starts. And well, like what happened you before could, you only know what happens from when the moment someone started recording. Well, you, when the cops came out, they came running toward. You see the police video. No, my my point is that like you only what, no, the I problem with videos is that you only know from the moment someone. So you don't know where they were standing before. I've point. seen brass bands play. They, they don't usually move around. Like they usually are pretty stationary. But I see your point as well. All taken. I'm all I'm saying is that like the, a video is a snapshot of time. I, yes, that's all. Yes, I'm yes, yes. And we have the benefit of many videos um, right. of what happened to, uh, <laughs> sure. during this event, and a week later when the cops were called back by the bookstore owner, even though they were standing across the street from the bookstore. So, um, oh, and there was a second. There was a second incident, Whoa. which is are, we, is are we breaking news or is this uh, is this news? Uh, it was broken on Facebook, like all good news is right. nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we could talk about that incident sure. in a second. Sure. So, um, look for whatever reason, um, this bookstore owner decided to call the police um, to uh, enforce trespassing boundaries in his thought process um by by accounts and apparently some videos that i haven't seen fully yet the police responded in a vehicle put the lights on a signal to the band to kind of like scatter a little bit um when they came back around the band was near the bookstore i wouldn't say they were in the doorway or anything like that within six seconds of the cops um pulling up they had um approached and reached Eugene Grant, who's my client, um, who's severely disabled, severely autistic. Anyone that had encountered him would know that. Um, he's on spe- Frenchman speech impediment. Yeah. And viscerally, you would know that um, there's something, you know, special about him. Sure. And he's on Frenchman Street every night. So I have to conclude that the cops that responded were unfamiliar with Frenchman Street, if they were unfamiliar with Eugene, which I believe the NOPD has said that the cops didn't know that he um, had special needs in any way. So that's my conclusion. You'll have to ask them about that. But, you know, they they aggressively approach Eugene, although I'm sure everyone can have a different um, view of that video and come to a different conclusion. I would say they aggressively approached. They, these. they walked toward him with his hand out and it was kind of a rapid pace. Correct. And yes. his arm was out. Yes. And by looking at the video, it looked like uh, that somebody who may have mental uh, or is autistic and has special needs may see that and that may trigger somebody. Is, Can I interject please, here with just please. two thoughts? I mean, one thought. So one thought, a thing that I know as a fact is that like what you see the officer doing in that video is actually like a standard police training to like keep space between you and someone in an interaction like that. Um, the second point that I want to make is that like we can sort of get – really, really deep into the weeds and the semantics of like the use of force or how quickly they responded and all that stuff like that, right? Um, and I think that makes me think of two things. One, I watched this video over and over and over again, like thinking about my thoughts about it. And for one, I was utterly appalled at myself at the first thing I thought was like, well, they didn't shoot him. So like, this wasn't that bad. They didn't tase him. So this wasn't that bad. And just, I just want to like, I want us to like name that that's where we're at right now. That like what we expect from people whose supposed literal aim is supposed to be protect and serve is that my first feeling watching this video was relief and also just like a lowering of my anxiety about the video and about the incident and be like, well, he didn't get hit with like a nightstick. They didn't like tase him. They didn't shoot him because like this encounter is like deadly in so many other situations that like this is what we've come to accept 
as acceptable behavior from the people that are given guns by the state and said that they have like the power and responsibility to use them if they need to. I don't know if we like, come to accept it. I know we've no, come we, to expect it. I don't ha- know we've accepted. I mean, we're not doing a damn thing about it, so we accept it. Like it's that's semantics, but I hear uh, you. So like that's one. I think the second thing for me is like I always come back to like would they have approached a drunk tourist, white tourist, the way that they approached Eugene? They they would not. The, the cops will, I've seen the amount of drunk I used to live right off of Frenchman the amount of like drunk belligerent tourists that cops have to deal with on Frenchman or Bourbon Street numbers in like the thousands per month and I have never seen a New Orleans police officer approach a like a um, a disorderly drunk white tourist the way that they approached a kid playing music on Frenchman Street on July 8th and that's like sort of the problem here is because like I think the thing that like I'm very unhappy with in this situation is the NOPD is spitting this as like, we have a defensible video here. The video shows that the officer showed quote unquote restraint and that it was a chaotic scene and da 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 da. And all these things is like, the bottom line is, why did you even approach this person like this? And I think it's, it, it touches upon this sort of really, really screwed up reality that these people who are literally given guns by the state and like allowed to use them. And use lethal force against the populace, and supposedly have training of how to how to deescalate and how to handle these situations. They have the responsibility of being the trained person in the situation. That they are held to a similar standard that an unarmed civilian who's scared and who has a right to be scared of the police, and they're supposed to react the same. Like whether or not Eugene went towards the cop and aggressive, like that's sort of like irrelevant. You are a pr- police officer. With a gun, with training of what to do and not do in the situation. This is a random citizen who's unarmed and is reacting to a, a situation that they feel that they're in danger in. They're like, the responsibility is incumbent of the person holding the state issued gun. And like, that is sort of like the central issue in these like police incidents is that we expect random citizens to have more training than the cops. Then why do the cops have guns if we can't trust them to respond professionally in these situations? Why, why do we arm our police officers? What are they getting trained on if not trained on how to de-escalate a situation like this? without? Because here's the reality of it. The reality of it is the way that they jumped out of that car immediately escalated that situation. Okay. Immediately did. So let, let And me, so like, why is that the responsibility of the unarmed citizen to be essentially well, – not the bigger okay. person, but to like handle that well, with more training than the cop? So, it's so, absurd. So let's get – and I think that's a fair point and let's get to that. Let's just say if you're tuned in, you are listening to Resistance Radio uh, with uh, Mark Allendary, Kenny Francis, and today we're talking to attorney for Eugene Grant, uh, Megan Kiefer. So and, – and, and Kenny, you bring up a very good point. But I, I think that there is one element here that is kind of what makes this situation a bit of an outlier is that he's severely autistic. And so I think that there was, an, you know, ordinary, I think most people would see something like that from happening and would either stop, step back, recognize the situation that we're, they're in. But with somebody who is severely mentally disabled, I think that the response was the exact opposite that I think what the police officer was attempting to, uh, uh, to, to ascertain. And he walked toward the police officer with his trumpet out, made contact with the police officer. And you can actually see his camera kind of shut down 
at, at that point. So, so let's just let me let before yep. you continue, Megan. Have we said anything so far that I mean, is that a fair representation of what happened? Well, the video is the video, you know, and people can draw different conclusions about what happened on the video and why. And I think that's a fair statement for me. I think Kenny touches on a point that you know what I'm trying to focus on here as an advocate for Eugene is number one to explore ways for this not to happen again. And in doing that, what I have to do is confront my own privilege, right? Like we can all talk in a vacuum about how, you know, this shouldn't happen again, how we can explore this not happening again. But number one, you know, as a white female um, who's probably been drunk and disorderly on Frenchman Street at some point, at full disclosure, I would never have the cops call to me. By a store owner. I feel very confident in saying that. I would never have the cops called on me by a white store owner or a black store owner. No one would call no, the cops no. on me. And number two, I truly believe that if the cops were called on me for being drunk and disorderly, which these musicians were not drunk. They were playing music. They were music. playing music, and, and I don't Street. find that to be disorderly. disorderly. They were right. literally but the reason why people go to Frenchman Street. Right. I've had interactions with police officers, and none of them have ever been aggressive. Even if I was in a position where they should be aggressive and I have to assume that is because I'm a white female, you know, so those are two steps that why did this occur this way um, and how do we fix that? Well, I think we need to first fix it by acknowledging the fact that there's dynamics here. There's racial politics. I don't know, you know, but I do have to be honest about that and, and not disagree with that point, Kenny, you know, that... And I mean, and to to further that point, the reality of it is that is this is that like white people are allowed to use the police as sort of like their personal attack dogs, a dogs whenever they feel quote unquote threatened, whatever the hell that means nowadays. Um, and that's what happened here. Yeah. We could talk about the video all we want, but what happened here is that a white store owner felt quote unquote threatened by these like black kids playing music outside. And like, let's be, and I I know that you're the lawyer, so I know that you're going to avoid this part. But like, let's be super honest here. The reality of it is that these kids have been playing on Frenchman forever. This dude moves in. He's probably annoying as hell. He's probably like, stop playing your music. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is Frenchman. Get off my lawn. Like, like, yeah, he's like, get off my lawning. And they're like, it's Frenchman. Your business is only viable because we're standing here playing music because people come to see our culture, right. not, not your lame bookstore. Book right. Like, your bookstore only gets any traffic. If we leave Frenchman Street, let's just be super clear. If music leaves Frenchman Street, your bookstore dies yeah, tomorrow. Over, right. Like no one goes there for any reason other right. than music. Right. Um, first of all, so like, and again, as you explained before, they've been playing. This specific band has been playing on Frenchman forever, and they've consistently been getting displaced from the place that they have played on the street, which is a part of New Orleans culture. If we're about to say, because like one of the things that I saw that our new police commissioner said, which I wish he hadn't said, because I thought it was absurd what he said, was he was like, well, I mean, technically. It, like they were playing on the street, which is illegal. I'm sorry, what? This is New Orleans. Are we literally about to say that? Like, well, I mean, technically, playing without a permit is illegal. That, like, if that's where we're going, like, everyone move now. Like, yeah, what's the point? Yeah, and that like, was a comment that was. He literally said it. I, no, no, like, no, I understand. I'm not, that, I'm not like making that up. That's no, a thing, no, no, that's no a thing I understand said. that they're in the process of trying to. And let's move away from this topic, okay? Because he needs to protect his cops. But I don't want to talk about that. Hold but but finish your point. So like my th- my thing here. Is that the like the reality of the situation? Is probably that like they, th- th- it's clear that there's tension between the band and this and this business owner, and it's clear that they probably don't have a great relationship. And like, 
I honestly, if I was the band and this guy kept harassing me where I've been playing music for years and all of a sudden you tell me I got to move and I got to turn the music off at nine o'clock for your damn bookstore and you just got here, I probably would go play in front of his store too, right? And the difference is what is a community issue? Like this is, this is like, this is the same thing where like a thing, a real thing that happens. I, I'll give an analogy to this that like I is trying to illustrate what I'm trying to say and I'm not doing a good job of it. Is a couple years ago, I actually had an incident where the police were calling me by a neighbor. Um, the police were calling me because I had a dispute over something stupid and like the things that neighbors get into about like garbages and where you put your garbages and whose parking spot is what's parking, like where your property ends, etc. The difference is the person that I was having this dispute with, which every single person who's ever lived in a house has had these sort of disputes with some sort of annoying neighbor. He's a white dude. And so he got to call the cops and say that this black dude's being aggressive towards me. And guess what? The cops showed up and it was a whole thing between me and the cops and this person. And that's the difference here. The difference is that white people get to use the police as their personal attack dogs. If I had called the cops, they wouldn't even come if, I had, if it had been me on the other side of the phone. And that's like the real issue here is that. This is touching on everything. It's touching on gentrification. It's touching on like race relations. It's talking about a lack of our community policing. That like somehow you could this band that's been on Frenchman forever was completely unknown to these two to these cops. Like it's this is like sort of the reason why this is getting so much attention is that this issue isn't just like about an autistic guy who's playing music on Frenchman who got like approached by cops and it turned into this like cluster of situation. This is basically like race and like politics and poverty in new orleans playing out in an inc- in one incident and i think that's why it's like resonating with so many people because everything that people who are from here who says that we're losing is represented by the fact that on frenchman street a dude that just moved here this spring and bought a bookstore in frenchman could call the cops on a band playing music on frenchman street and the cops show up and throw the dude in the car like that is absurd that is what that is like every when people say that New Orleans is when people from here say that New Orleans is dying and that the transplant and the gentrifiers are killing it, that is what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean that is an illustrative example that you can point your finger at and actually say that actually happened and and, and list the variables that, that, that you listed. And you're hundred percent correct because this is what we talk about here, which is a great example of the disnification of, of New Orleans. And you're taking that 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 culture away the, the the and what I what we I'm assuming we hopefully will start talking about is the relationship now between police and culture bearers in, in New Orleans but before we do I just also want to say that charges have been dropped I mean we're able to talk about this because charges have been dropped against Eugene uh, Eugene Grant correct the municipal charges have been dropped um, and we've been told by the NOPD that there won't be any charges coming Okay, fair enough. So, I just wanted to be. I'm, I'm not the lawyer. I'm just leaving it there. <laughs> okay, no, 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 I wanted to. Be... I don't have more detail. Than yeah, she does. no, no. I, I, you just kind of looked at me. Well, so oh, I, was... I just had nothing to say. To okay. Well, what what I'm taking me. that as is, look, the um, I think the NOPD, um, a lot of our city leaders realized that this exhibited something that was a problem. Okay. Now, how do you fix the problem is, you know, you delineated almost every single thing that this highlights. And so how do you fix all of those problems that are, you know, wrapped up in one incident? Um, well, I'm, I'm hopeful that at least conversations are starting about them. Um, you know, the, the NOPD, the city leaders reached out pretty quickly, not admitting that they did something wrong. 
But, you know, even if their company line is going to be, look, we did everything right, that doesn't mean they still didn't do something wrong, right? And so we can use this in, this incident to talk about positive changes that we can make, you know, how the NOPD responds to calls against musicians that are nonviolent calls. You know, no, there was no accounts of this 911 call that it was a call that exhibited that there was something violent, there was something to be fearful of. It was by all accounts a, a nonviolent call for musicians obstructing, quote unquote, a right of way. So number one, why are we responding to those calls with aggression at all? When, when we know that they're nonviolent calls. Number two, you know, you touched on it, is how does the NOPD or, you know, any police department interact with people with disabilities? Are we training our officers to note disabilities while, you know, these are things that are happening in seconds, but there's police departments that are training their officers about how to identify people with disabilities that might not interact with the police officers the way me or you do. Sure. Someone you know? could be deaf. I, you know, there was a case of a guy in, mm-hmm. uh, in Florida where he was shot and he had severe mental disabilities. And the number one thing that you can do in America is disrespect. Oh, no, no, that wasn't, the, that wasn't, that was, that was worse than that. I remember that. That wasn't the dude, the, that was a man who was in an assisted home. Yeah. Yeah. With severe mental uh, disabilities, his caregiver, yeah, was, who was trying yeah, to get him fair. back in the home, that's fair. That's was fair. shot <laughs> while screaming. I'm literally trying to get my patient that's fair. back into the home, and right. they shot the right, dude. Right, right, right. That's, that's what happened. There. That's fair. Like that's where we're at. We're shooting psychologists, basically. Like, that's, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fair. And, you know, and and again, the the one thing that I saw that was consistent with what I see with a lot of these shootings and beatings or what have you. Fortunately, that didn't happen here, but still, what happened was was into- not tolerable. Was the fact that the cops told the musicians to do something, they made the block, they came back and saw. So disrespecting a cop, it just, and so this is why you saw that rapid, you know, I'm assuming that's probably what happened because the, the disrespecting of a police officer apparently uh, can lead to uh, death. Apparently. Yes. yes. Uh, not apparently. Yes. It is punishable by man. death. Yes. You know, um, I want to add to this just because I think that you made a very important point. I think here's I think if I were able to sit in front of the our our new police chief and have a conversation with him about this That's possible. what I would say is I would say that like if you're truly interested in being an agent of change on an issue like this which is which is like a obviously part of a national conversation um what needs to happen and there's need to be a reality there's need to be a reality check of the way that people of color very rightfully so respond to police presence because for literally hundreds of years, police have been murdering us for nothing. And so it is a very fair and very real response to have to respond in abject fear of the police. As much privilege as I have, I respond with abject fear to even the mere sight of the police. Because every time I see a police officer even come near me or my car, whether I'm driving it or not, the first thing I think is how do I make sure that I get out of this possible encounter alive that is the only thing going through my mind the moment i even sense police presence is how do i make sure i get to go home and that is a reality that the police through the way that they've treated people of color for literally ever that is a fact of life in america being a black person and so like if our police are if the officials who like of the police chief and other city officials are actually interested in being part of solution for this, then the training needs to in- include the reality that like we have traumatized people of color to have an abject like jump fear response to the police. And that is 
the fault of the police and the people that have supposedly supposed to be having oversight over them for the last 300 years. And so, like, we need to respond to these situations in the understanding that, like, basically every black person is going to have a trauma response to seeing a police officer approach Kenny, them for anything. Let me ask you this. Do you think that's the bug or do you think that's the feature? I, th- I mean, yeah, it's the feature. It's the but, feature. But, but my, my, the point, that it is the po- feature. That it's is, the, it is the that, point. That is, it is the, the point. point. I mean, poli- yeah, I mean, I mean, we can get to the like, history of police. The police yes, will really create this piece of course. So we talked about it right, like it's, earlier. Like it's, that like, is yes, the point. That is, is the, the point. feature. It is yeah. not the bug. Yeah. And so what you're now telling police departments to do is to remove from their DNA an element that, and, and I agree, we should. I'm not at all defending at all. But we're asking police departments to remove from their DNA yeah. what it was that they originally started from, and that was slave catchers. Yeah. And to put the fear yeah. uh, uh, into black people when they saw cops. Yeah. And so that I mean, look what happened with. And Ford. that's and, and that's why that that's why this is my response. My response is if. Our city officials, and specifically Superintendent Ferguson, who has said a whole lot in the media recently about how he's interested in being part of the solution. If you're actually interested in that work, this is what it takes. What it yes, takes. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that, that's the point, point that I'm making. That is a great if point. Superintendent yes, Ferguson, yes. look, I'm going to take you at your word. You're new. Like, I, I, I'm a strong believer of like when a new person comes in the office, the only thing we can do is to just wait to see what they do. And so he has come out very strongly here and saying that this is, like you said, this is a ta- this is a point for conversation. I'm glad that it wasn't worse. There's all these issues that need to resolve, and we as a community, this is an opportunity for conversation and for us to figure out how to make this better. And so my charge to you, Superintendent Ferguson, because I'm sure you're listening, <laughs> is that is that Maybe if you're, int- I mean, they pr- depending <laughs> on how, depending on what you think of the police, they maybe are listening. They're they're always listening, right? Russia's listening, CIA is listening, and I mean, Palantir is probably definitely. Pal- oh yeah, Pal- sure, Palantir is definitely still listening. So I'm sure there are are listening. Um, if you don't remember Palantir, go back and listen to our episode about Palantir Technologies and that time when the NOPD was secretly spying on us for like five years. Um, as a city, go go listen and Thank read you. about that. Thank you, Mitch Landry. Um, Thank you, Raging Cajun. And then, um, but like seriously though, if the super, if Superintendent Ferguson is actually interested in being part of the solution, this is what he needs to get to the heart of the heart that black people have a fear response when they see police officers. And what can you train your officers to do to a be cognizant of that and b to begin to change that? Because if you are actually interested in being an in instrument of change, that is your charge. You're absolutely right. You have to move from being the bug in the system to being the or being the feature of the system, uh, because again, it is part of the DNA of why police yeah. uh, make the have, words protect and serve actually mean something. If you're tuned in, this is one two point three WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Yonder. It's Kenny Francis. Uh, we've been t- or we are talking to Megan Kiefer, attorney for Eugene Grant. Uh, Megan, so what can we do? We have about ten minutes left or so. How can we start to? I think what Kenny said is is really you know so structurally and systematically deep into the American culture, uh, and of course has led to the slaughter and what we've seen now in videos of of black men, unarmed black men in the streets. Uh, some of them just so incredibly, sh- all of them shocking, right? Yeah. But w- this, these are long term changes, and I think that, that this is a conversation that we're going to be having regularly, uh, especially when we start to see if you know if, you know if we start we're starting to see the militarization of the police and all that, but. 
just when we start talking about police and the and the, and the relationship with cultural bearers. So can before you, you go, and I had let you make this point, Megan. I just want to make one more thing because it just popped into my head as you were about to speak. Before you said that in less than ten seconds, the cop was out of the car and aggressive. Six seconds, and, and in your view, aggressively um, approaching Eugene. I want to point out that that is exactly the amount of time that elapsed between the officers arriving on the scene and deadly and killing Tamir Rice, who right. was a fourteen-year-old child. I think that was three seconds. So, like, I want to point fo- to folks out just like just like what the stakes are here. A fourteen-year-old child was executed in the same amount of time as we're talking. Right, and I also just want to bring up a point too because you had talked about what happens when police uh, see a black person, right? And in, in the case of Philando. Castro, uh, Philando uh, Castillo, I think Philando Castillo. I think it's Castile. Castile, right? Who basically told the officer that he had a gun, and the guy shot him, anyway. and he was shot. Anyway. And yeah. so we wonder why black people are fearful of cops. I mean, yeah. for me, I, I'm like you, Megan. Person of privilege, cops have always been very pleasant for me. And, and Kenny reminds me regularly. Sometimes I. I talk from the perspective of a white person Kenny's like no 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 that's your perspective we've known this for years right like yes thank you for waking up to this but this is something that black yeah. people have been experiencing I mean the for first years. time I just to give you guys like personal context to this is that um, if you're of a certain age you'd remember this it's not that like I'm old it's just that like it's it's happened a while ago now um, if you remember the Amadou Diallo shooting from the 90s where for those who don't know this happened in New York um it was an immigrant who was struggling with English, so he was struggling to like understand what the officer was saying, came out of his house. The officer was responding to a reports of a, of a burglary. They were at the wrong house, and they ended up shooting him 41 times while he was reaching for his wallet to show, him, show them his identification and be like, I live here. You're at the wrong place. That happened around the corner from my house. I was nine years old when it happened. I was nine years old when my mother had to come into my room and explain to me what was happening on the news and explain to me what being a black boy in America meant. That, like, that's what my mother has lived with from nine. And, like, that's, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. Like, every single black parent lives with that fear every single day that their child is out in the world. And I know that we talked about when they see us, and I think that we needed to do another conversation about that. And I know you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it because I was there. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up in New York in the nineties. I was there. I know exactly what happened. It's brutal to watch. Um, okay, so please. Well, no. So um, I mean, Kenny's hitting on such systemic, you know, macroscopic issues in our society, and I don't disagree with anything. Um, and sometimes when we talk that way, it's so daunting. Like, how do you fix a broken system? So let's switch microscopically and look at. Eugene's case and because this is a a conversation that you know we're capable of having we have an NOPD chief superintendent Ferguson who used to be a musician you know he's a black man like he relates to these guys on many levels and um, he's invited the musicians to come and meet with him directly you know so a lot of his public statements it wasn't just sort of here let me release a statement you know, go underground, hope everything is smoothed over. I've already been in a meeting with him. I've already been in a meeting with uh, Chief Westbrook, who heads the Public Integrity Bureau. And I feel like they're genuine in trying to figure out how we could not, I don't know if they're saying let's solve all these problems, but, you know, what went wrong here and how do we prevent it from happening again? One simple solution I think everyone is on board with is like, we need to have better talks about community policing on this street. I mean, there's no excuse for why if officers are going to respond to this street that they don't know these people. And I think if they knew these people, these people would know them. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, the musicians would know them. That interaction would have looked so grandly different. Um, I think this is a moment, Kenny, where we can exhale because nothing, he wasn't shot. He's still alive, right? Um, and that's a sad thing to say that we can exhale, but it's the reality. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that we live in, that you live in, you know, that people like you are living in. So I believe we have leadership that realizes that moment of exhale because they don't want to kill an autistic black kid on the street for playing music either, you know, and they didn't. So one conversation we've been having in those meetings is community policing. The other thing they're doing is trying to get together a community mediation between musicians, business owners, a lot of other special interests and actors on this you know, particular street and invite everyone to the table to discuss how we can better move forward together. Of course, I'm involved in an intense peripheral um, role there because my only goal is to protect Eugene, whose only goal is to play music, right? So, you know, the situation that he's found himself in is heart-wrenching because he's intensely simplistic in that regard. He wants to play music. That's it. He's not trying to be a poster child. No, and, you know, when something like that happens, like this happens, you know, everyone's trying to grab at him to get them to be – the poster child for something. I mean, you just rattled off five different causes that this could be about, um, you know, and everyone wants him to be the poster child for that, the catalyst for this. And at the end of the day, he wants to play music. That's it. Why can't we as a society make that happen in a way that his mom doesn't have to be nervous about him getting shot for playing music? That is the simple demands of this family. We have three more minutes. There was a second up. There was a second incident. Yeah. And this is where it kind of gets complicated for me because it's just, you know, we don't don't need to talk about it all. Well, I mean, meaning like the the band went out the the next week after this happens, you know, you think that the owner would have a a moment of like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Have you met white people? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Have you met any white people? But, you know, there's a video and it shows the band setting up across the street or just, you know, getting their their instruments out. And and the owner of the bookstore goes across the street to confront them. Of course you did. And you hear on the video these musicians saying, hey, man, how do you know where we're going to play? We we haven't even set up yet. Like, how do you know where we're going to play? And he walks across the street and calls the police on him again. Again, now, of course, the NOPD came out and just said, hey, man, y'all, y'all go on, you know, and like everything was fine. But like, that, yeah, did you not learn anything? But I guess y- your response is going to be you met white people. <laughs> um, I do. And there's just there's just so much here. Yeah. Um, I think that the last thing I want to say, um, particularly as this conversation continues, and I know we have to go, is that the last charge I will charge our new superintendent with is. If these if these talks and if these like statements are actually in earnest, and I'm not giving a reason to doubt them, um, something that I think that needs to be acknowledged, along with everything else I said, is that people, specifically this community, have all the reason in the world to not trust that this is that this is earnest. So it is incumbent upon the offending party to give the grace of tr- of trying to show that you're genuine. So, a concrete example, if I slapped Mark Allen, right? The last time we saw each other. You want to act it out? And or? I'm trying to. He, he, <laughs> but no, seriously. He tries to. Like, if I, if, I, if I physically harmed Mark Allen, right? The last time that I saw him, 
and we're trying to repair our relationship. It is incumbent upon me to work through his fear, his distrust that I'm I'm going to be doing what I'm saying. Like it is it is incumbent on the person who who's been the offending party to repair the relationship and have the grace and the patience with those who have been offended against. And there's so much about that that speaks to so much in this country but like on the simple level we'll just stick with the police is that like if the police ever hope to like repair a relationship with the community you need to approach it in a way that's like yeah you've been killing us for like 300 years so we might be a little bit skeptical of your so-called reforms when you need to hear hear out the emotions it's almost like marriage counseling you know if if you mess up you need to let someone tell you you're a jerk right yeah. you need to you, you need to listen first I, I say back to you have you met white people there's no way that it's going to happen it's yeah. Built into the DNA of police officers. We got to go. Uh, Megan Kiefer, uh, the attorney of Eugene Grant, thank you so much for spending the hours with us. Uh, Kenny Francis, as always, lots of love. I'll see you next week. See you guys next week.